Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Munchies Podcast is made possible by Google Home. Find out more at google.com slash home. I already quit smoking, but he, maybe he was having a cigarette or we were just outside waiting. He goes, oh, the, you know, the PR guy told me not to say anything too crazy. And that, that was when I was like, okay, this is going to be good, <laughs> you know. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, Editor-in-Chief of Munchies, and welcome back to Munchies, the podcast. Today, we are doing a one-hour special episode. We're celebrating something very close to my heart. And if you've been listening to the show, you already know that we have our very first cookbook coming out on October 24th. It's called Munchies Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chefs. It's the greatest cookbook that has ever been created, but I'm completely biased. And on today's episode, we're deconstructing this cookbook and starting at the very beginning. All of the recipes from the cookbook are actually from our hit video series, Chef's Night Out. If you haven't seen it, the premise is simple. We follow our favorite chefs for a night out on the town, and we eat at their favorite restaurants and bars, eventually heading back to their kitchen to cook a late-night munchies meal. Today, we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at how Chef's Night Out is made. And who better to make sense of all of this than Munchies executive producer Chris Grosso, one of the original masterminds behind Munchies. My name is Chris Grosso, uh, executive producer of Munchies and at Viceland. And uh, I like food. We're going to talk to Chris about what it's actually like to film these episodes. And we'll get into discussing things that didn't make the cut, from the craziest chefs to appear on camera, to the worst hangovers, and more. Hey, Chris, why should people buy this cookbook? Why wouldn't you, right? You definitely want this if you like to go out and drink, if you like to smoke, if you're just a fat fuck, and you like to make food that... Just is completely satisfying on every single level. You know, if you want to taste it, you want to burp up and taste what you exactly what you had. These recipes have all of that. You know, this is the inside perverted mind to 75 of the world's best chefs. This is what they're too scared to put on their menus, and they actually put it in our book and they did it on camera. And you can point to that web video and say, Look, I did it just like that chef. All right, there you have it. Go out and buy it. You can pre order it online. Right now, do it. All right, so let's go back to the very beginning. Explain what Munchies was before Munchies, the website, existed. Before Munchies was its own website, Munchies was a show that was started in 2009 on VBS. VBS VBS.tv is now Vice's defunct web television station. It's just rolled into everything else. It started just a couple months, maybe six months after YouTube launched. And one of the shows was called Munchies. I believe it was named by Toby, who's a salesperson here. And then, um, but it was actually, I think, you know, produced and and everything by Chris Chakin, who is... uh, 
he wrote up some cookbooks with his wife, who was the vegan cupcake lady. But he was down with like the Franks and all these people and whatnot. So it kind of, I heard it was starting. And, um, but I was just doing just the skateboard stuff. I was just doing epically latered, but I worked in restaurants while I started working here. And so when I saw that, it was all so new anyway that I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, you know, I got to get involved, you know, but I was like, oh, I can help with that. People, people knew me that worked here from seeing me in the restaurant that I worked at. And so they kind of knew I had um, some knowledge of that. I think I used to help with reservations a little bit with some, some people that worked here, but mostly it was just this show. It came up. It was where like, it was on the right track. Chefs were going out, they were getting drunk and they were making stuff for their friends. And I think um, this, the biggest step in the right direction was kind of not the drinking part, but it's showing that like, hey, there's, these people are having fun, you know, or they at least have fun after work and they, they party like a little bit different, but they eat better than everybody else. And I think it did a good job of, of showing that. Fast forward three years, and so the people that were, were doing it originally kind of left it, and I had been talking for a little while, like, hey, I'd like to help you with that, I'd like to help you with that. And then finally, there was like this in-between point, and I was like, Lauren Cinnamon and myself, who have, you know, producing partners here for past 10 years, we were like, oh, we're going to take this. And then we just took it and and kind of ramped up production and I think we shot 12 episodes in 10 weeks and and that was it that was in 2012. So then explain to people because for listeners out there who often get confused between Munchies the website and what was then called Munchies now is called Chef's Night Out can you explain yeah, how that came about? Sure um, so pretty much right away because even before we took over doing the series munchies which is now called chef's night out we had talked about you know launching this this food vertical through vice i think they had noisy had launched but this was a time when people were they companies wanted to launch verticals like whole channels dedicated to stuff and we agreed because we had ideas for a lot of food videos and and docs but we we didn't think it was like that's not very vice i i hate saying something like that but i think at the level at which we worked the, the productivity it would have just been populated with food videos you know it would have just been like here's two and that's too many you know and i think when you have something there's got to be a balance of 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 things so there's got to be equal amounts of sex <laughs> drugs photography street photography and then you know food can play a, a minor role in that but we thought that it should have stepped out and, and become its own thing. And as, as you know, because you joined in 2013, September of 2013, correct? Yeah, you have a great memory. Wow. So um, <laughs> we were trying to figure out the name of the food site, right? Like, what was this vertical going to be? And um, we wanted to call it Vice Food. And Shane Smith, basically, in a nutshell, was like, no, call it Munchies. It already has... Uh, you know, recognition, brand recognition. So it went from a show about food on vice.com, let's call it, about chefs going out called Munchies. Then it, we had to take it and turn that name into a whole website so we couldn't call the show Munchies. And this is probably just as confusing as when you started listening. <laughs> but 
basically it was the name of a show that turned into the name of a whole channel and then we renamed the show chef's night out and the name makes a lot of sense um because we do have people that that don't drink and uh that don't smoke weed or whatever that don't get the munchies although i think you know munchies is just like a, a playful nod to something it's not like dude we're all stoned all the time but you know i get where people would think that we are well, I mean, now with over like 200 plus episodes and counting like all over the world, I would imagine because I have this experience whenever I go to restaurants, line cooks everywhere will go, oh, my God, I love munchies. And as I keep talking to them, I quickly realize they don't know what munchies website is. They only know munchies, the show Chef's Night Out. I mean, that's Vice's biggest problem. Go and listen to a <laughs> podcast on Bloomberg. It's We've got so many different names for everything. Viceland, Vice on HBO, Munchies. It is all that. I mean, go and read the YouTube comments for Action or Maddie or Frank. Get this guy his own show, they write. You're watching his own show, you fucking idiot. Like, that's... It's, it's right there. So, yeah, the branding, and I especially, I think, if you are an overworked line cook, and you're right. You know, they, they're like, oh, we love munchies. Their chef pretends like they don't know what it is. And the line cooks all like it. So <laughs> that's it. So you really took this show from something that I think had a few episodes and had these glimmers of what the show really is now, which is this incredibly exciting thing that to this day, chefs constantly ask to be on it. Take me back to the first episode that you worked on and walk me through that experience. Well, you know, like I said, Lauren and I, uh, we had watched, I think, the the major turning point was, the, you know, the M. Wells episode. And I uh, watched that, and I was like, there's no food. Like, the, what kind of food do they cook in their restaurant? Like, it's cool. Let's, let's go out with them and go to Grand Central Oyster Bar and get fucked up and everything. But I also want to see, like, what's going on in their kitchen. Because to me, as, like someone who likes restaurants and follows, you know, New York restaurants like people follow Yankees. Uh, you've got to make, you know, if you, you can't alienate your audience. And the main audience is line cooks and restaurant people. So we got, you know, give them a peek under that restaurant skirt. Let's see the food that they make. And that's also good for people who, who don't know who the people at M. Wells were, right? So like, we're like, all right, so we got to, we got to get what the food is going to be. So... Lauren and I wrote down this like structure. All right, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna have them like demo some dishes for us in the kitchen. Talk about the restaurant a little bit. Make sure we have all that. Get like a table of people to eat the food that they make at the restaurant, so we can film that. So we can see it's not just like glamour shots of dishes. It's like let's see how it <laughs> what it looks like in action. So we contacted um, my friend Cal Elliott at Rye Restaurant. And I, and I said, hey, we're doing this chef's night out thing. Will you, will you do it? And he, he's kind of, he's a very salty person. That's like just how he is. So he's like, I don't know. I was like, you got to go out and drink and eat. That's it. And I'm going to ask you questions about your restaurant and we'll, we'll make it work. So Lauren, she did the camera and I drove and, you know, asked the questions and, and kind of... Uh, you know, like hosted behind the camera, as they say, prodded, produced it or whatever. And uh, we just went there and they just would keep on saying, are we doing this right? Are we doing this right? And then I just like, just, just drink. So he went to Samurai Mama 
and I th- I've never seen somebody drink this many shots and of of Jameson, but they weren't real shots. They didn't have a shot glass, so they just had a wine glass that they would fill up about a quarter of a way, which is still like three ounces, right? So it's like every shot is is three and. He just, you know, he was getting drunk, but but they were eating and they were talking about the place. And then we went on to another place and and um, finally made it back. He goes and makes his his grilled cheese at the end. The people there, and I was like, oh, okay, this is. I get how this is gonna go, but you know, I think um, that's not too exciting. But when you're doing it, it's more of like just encouraging people that like, hey, not everything is action packed. There's this thing's gonna be edited, you know we're going to be at this for four hours and then it's going to be condensed into 12 to 15 minutes and letting people know that that is going to be, um, it's okay that they're not on every second. Some people are, but some people aren't. And I think just the, the ultimate thing we wanted to get was what's it like at this person's restaurant? Where do they go out in their neighborhood? And, and I think, you know, uh, we got it. And, and just from there, we just kind of moved on. Lauren, uh, around that time was was pregnant with her son Coleman so like I was like I think that was uh she was like okay this was a good experience but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna chill on this for a little bit until after I'm uh, not pregnant well so I mean you've you've filmed this all over the world you've definitely met a lot of different characters throughout the process I want to talk about some of your favorite episodes and let's just kick it off let's start with one of my mutually favorite episodes, Jonathan Benno. <laughs> Jonathan Benno was, uh, <laughs> this was, um, this is an awesome episode because of what came out of it at the end. And that's kind of, I think, how um, maybe a lot of people are just myself approach when you're making a video or a documentary or anything. It's like the filming part is like, it's kind of tedious. It takes a long time. You just want to get the footage and get it back in and start making what you envisioned when you first started out right so that was needless but uh, so jonathan benno emailed me through michael white and said hey i had lunch with michael white the chef at Maria, and said he said he was on this thing called chef's night out and that it was awesome i'd like to do one nobody you know at this point when we filmed with him I would write to like PR people or just directly to chefs and I would have to like get them to agree to do this for, you know, uh, just based on personal relationships. Like Daniel Balud's people, you know, are still, I'm still waiting for them to get back to me about what vice is, you know, that's from <laughs> 2000. We filmed with him on other things, but that was back in 2012, you know, he's still like, no, oh, we're going to look into this company at first. So Jonathan said that he wanted to do it. Um, Jonathan Beto at the time was the chef of Lincoln Restaurante or Lincoln Restaurant in Lincoln Center. I believe he was the chef de cuisine at Per Se and then before that at the French Laundry. Um, and just a very well-respected chef's chef, uh, no-nonsense kind of guy. We took the time to, you know, we, we scheduled it out. Me and uh, the camera person, Bernardo Garcia, who is... Uh, you know, he was the DP of all the munchies for a while. Now he's, now he's freelance. And um, he, uh, we went there, and it was just like something was like a little off, right? Like I don't think, he, like a lot of these guys, like some of these chefs, 
they hear this is like something that they should do from their PR person or from another chef, but they don't really know what it is. They're like, they cook. That's it. Then they go on like a Good Morning America. And this is his own words. He's like, I'm used to like demoing a dish, talking, sit down, right? He didn't know like what was going on. Like, um, we filmed them for a little bit and they're like, all right, we're going to chill downstairs, get some B-roll until it's time to go out. And usually people are checking in every couple minutes, you know, but he didn't, he's, we're down there and we were like by ourselves away from him. He was staying away from us. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but he picked great places. So his two friends meet him and then we go to Netta. Netta had just opened. It was Jimmy Lau and Nick Kim's first place after they left Masa and Bar Masa. um, They now have Shuko. But they opened up this place, Netta, on 8th Street, right off of 6th Ave. And we were like, wow, okay, this this is usually a little bit out of our price range for the show, but let's do it. We want to film here. This is going to be awesome. And then, uh, so we're filming him throughout the meal. He's saying this is amazing. This is great. I think in the end, he likens it to the first time he ate at the French Laundry. Wow, okay, good. We're off to a good start. Um, I go out right before I'm about to get towed so we talk our way out of that he had his friend that was ran this mac and cheese truck that I think he brought to be like a little of the local flavor he's a New York guy and uh, he helped me talk with the 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 tow person and like letting the car off so we escaped that but then we get in the car and I said so hey how was that and he just and he just says can we turn that camera off and I was like, what? I was like, no, that's kind of like the whole point. <laughs> like, <laughs> to keep it on and you to tell me, well, can you just turn it off? This is very hard that you're filming the whole time. And I was like, yeah. I was like, that, that's what this is. I mean, did you watch any of this, the links I sent you? So that just goes on. They, like, he kind of like killed the mood. And um, I mean, at one point we went to film him at his like favorite bar. And he kind of like shoulder checks the camera guy. And, you know. I was like, well, all right, he's he's real pissed, and we're, and we're kind of laughing about it, you know. And then we get back to the place, the the uh, for the end meal, which is usually this big celebratory thing, and it's him, the mac and cheese guy, his sous chef who now has a an, a Hawaiian place on the Lower East Side. I forget his name, but uh, I want to go check that place out. And he's uh, he was there. He made these great tripe sandwiches. Like they were delicious. Everything, all the food was good. Don't get anything wrong about that. He's a great <laughs> chef. Everything was good on that end, but he did not like it. And like we were like, I don't get really like mad at that point, but I, I'm just like, oh, this is gonna be hilarious once we have to come back and talk to him tomorrow because he just left. He left without saying goodbye at the end, and it's like depressing. There's like this doc music. I remember people thinking like, oh, what happened? You know, when they saw the video, they're like, what went wrong? And I was just like, no, no, we edit it. Like, we add the music in. Like, that music wasn't playing because we were all so sad. Like, yeah, the guy didn't have fun. But, I mean, like, you edit something fun to when they have fun, and you edit it for what it is when it's not. But long story short, the next day we waited, and he came upstairs, and I was just like, listen, I, I don't care what anything you said to us last night or whatever just you just have to be truthful because we don't have footage of you looking like you're having fun so just talk about it (laughs) last night was a little challenging for me at points because we were i mean we were together for 
you know, four or five hours. And four or five hours together with, you know, the camera and you and questions. And it could have been like a Tim and Eric bedtime stories if you, if you tweaked it. It could have been like a real dark, <laughs> dark comedy. I mean, but that's what I think is is so great about the show is you're you are not glorifying anyone. It's really a, a true depiction of whatever the subject wants to make the episode. And I think, you know, in the case of Jonathan Benno, he was really honest about it the next day where he's just sort of like, yeah, I found it kind of challenging to have these people around me for five hours straight. I'm not used to that, you know. So let's talk about the host of Bizarre Foods, Andrew Zimmern. He came on the show, and I think, you know, to your credit, you know, not only have you, I think, changed food media in general in terms of how we actually storytell on the video side, but I think this episode's really indicative of the power of Chef's Night Out because every single episode shows something about these people that you didn't necessarily know. And in the case of Andrew Zimmern, he opens up about a subject that I think a lot of people don't know about him. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a great episode, I think, not only because it was somebody that everyone's familiar with, but then you, like a true performer or, you know, person that understands the power of media, he gave us a different side of him. And that was that he was this colossal alcoholic fuck up and that he overcame that and, you know, came back to to, you know, kind of take, restake his claim in the food world by being a host, you know, instead of a chef. But saying that Thomas Keller found him drunk in like the supply closet or like the pantry of a restaurant is fucking amazing. <laughs> and then to have him tell that he saw him months or years later and was like, oh my God, you're still alive, even better. To have it happen at uh, Barbudo in front of Jonathan Waxman is like, that's like the big triple word score you know that was that was awesome and andrew was the you know we shot with bourdain before him but bourdain his crew was very insular and they directed themselves and whatnot and that was like cool to watch but i feel like i really kind of uh wimped out with like stepping in and asking questions that i wanted to because just with the circumstances of that were a lot crazier but andrew kind of just kind of came in and you know, I feel that we got to, not only did he know how to act, but we could talk with him and we could geek out on some more food stuff. And, and he wasn't surrounded by the crew that he usually shoots the show with. So um, it was just like friends, his publicist, who's like this crazy Australian woman, Nikki. And uh, she was like, so Australian, like, yes, they're being nice and everything. But at the same time, I was totally annoyed. But she totally made it happen. I owe a lot to her for that one. But uh. <laughs> but there's also this really amazing moment that happens when he's making his munchies meal and he um, makes these one pot sticky chicken wings, which are in the cookbook. And he's sitting there saying something like, you know, this is a 1000 year old Chinese grandmother recipe. I learned it from this guy at the Y. And then, you know, Jonathan Waxman like opens up as he's eating about it. And oh, yeah. I, I think one, one of them... Zimmern maybe starts crying because yeah. Waxman's like, this is my, you know, he talks like the doorknob from, uh, from Beauty Alice in Wonderland. Oh. No, no. You know, when like it's a, oh, when the water's rising and he's making that, that's how he talks. I'm trying some of the sauce. I'm yeah, sorry. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, go going in, I'm going in here. 
That is the, that's the stuff. But that is Chinese grandmother food. Andrew, it, it, cooking the way you do reminds me a little of my dad, honestly. Because my dad had this sort of penchant for really spicy things that had lots of acid, onions, garlic, ginger, you know, Chinese spices. And I was like, it's kind of cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That's really, really sweet. And they have a moment and... Uh... It was all, it was all good. I, I like that one too because um, Andrew talked about Larry Forgione and uh, his restaurant, American, American Place, right? And, uh, you know, then we, we got some New York restaurant history in there. Plus talked about, you know, Jonathan Waxman who had jams in the 80s. And that's kind of like, you know, we open up with the, the drunk talk or, you know, like the recovery thing and like the, maybe like the shocking news piece, but... If you kind of peel that one back, there's like, we cover kind of, uh, you know, fine dining or even kind of, you know, revolutionary cooking or restaurants in the United States from like the, the 70s on with those guys. So I think that that's one that kind of hits everything. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, for listeners who don't know Larry Forgione, he's the father of Mark Forgione um, here in New York, who's a chef. And I think, you know, that is what's so interesting about the way in which, um, you know, the subjects of each show choose to curate their night because some people are really thoughtful and sometimes it just sort of happens and people show up. So with that... Let's talk about Christina Tosi of Momofuku Milk Bar, because there's a couple different appearances of people that show up on that episode and some some weird things happen. Yeah, Christina (laughs) is obviously an extremely driven and um, just a real, I I don't know, I always, she's one of my kind of inspirations in terms of work-wise. She's the first person ever to say to me, like, I don't feel comfortable unless I'm in over my head. And I didn't know that that was something you could feel comfortable with, like you were supposed to feel comfortable with. I thought you're supposed to work at like, you know, a little brainwashed in school, get your homework done on time, everything like that. And and she said that in our follow-up interview. I don't even know if that made it in there, but I was like, eh, that's the best. That, all right, that line was great. Well, following that theme of she's not good unless she's in over our head, she wanted to go to a fucking Dairy Queen in New Jersey, then to Rockaway, then to mini golf on um, Randall's Island. And she has, like, five women with her, co-workers. Then she's going to meet this person at Rockaway, and then all these people are going to meet up at Randall's Island. So I was like, okay, this is pretty ambitious. And so they come right out of the gate. They're drinking kimchi Bloody Marys in the car, doing everything. We make it to Dairy Queen in Union, New Jersey. We're doing okay. Then they, you know, that that stamina is hard to keep up. I always say people, like... make everything close together but she wasn't having it so we go to rockaway beach they have like you know they're playing games they're going nuts and then you know but it was the energy was going down a little bit and then they're like let's go play mini golf and so we head to randall's island and i think at this point like you know driving from rockaway beach to randall's island which is an island that sits between manhattan and queens it's impossible or maybe even the Bronx and it's all the way up the uh, uh, the East River and uh, they fell asleep in the car so they were kind of <laughs> energy was kind of down and then they played mini golf they did good then David Chang shows up and then the guy from Asia Dog and Danny Bowen show up and then I hadn't seen Danny in many years um, 
So that was a cool thing to, to reconnect with him there. In her posse was Courtney McBroom, who's done stuff on her own now. Helen Joe. There was also, help me out with someone. Jenna Derman. Yeah, of course, uh-huh. Jenna. I, yeah, see them. And uh, Beans the dog, who, by the way, never likes to be photographed. And yet you captured him beautifully on camera. They also, then they made like uh, ham and cheese sandwiches on corn cookies. Yeah. And here's the thing. They're so crazy, I think, because of like the amount of sugar that they have, and they eat it and they process. Like they, <laughs> there was no fake eating. They all ate, and everyone's in great shape. It was very awe-inspiring, and uh, they were really fun to shoot with. Um, but again, really ambitious. They made it work, but I don't think anybody else could possibly pull that off. But you also, I mean, for people who really pay attention to this show, like I credit it to you and Lauren Cinnamon. Like you guys really key in quickly on details about restaurants that make them who they are. And so like in the instance of Christina Tosi, she has modeled Milk Bar off of Dairy Queen. And in the episode, we're watching her make her very first blizzard. Like you took her to the mothership and allowed you enabled her to. Well, that's what I I mean. I just think if you pay attention like that's I was like, man, I'd love if she went to Dairy Queen. Then she writes like I want to go to Dairy Queen. Things aren't like, you know, by accident. And I think a lot of people, if you just kind of say it if if you're thinking it then that probably is what the case is you know i think it's uh it was a great moment that guy i think his name was mike he owned one in union and broke it down why that you know it's franchise so it's hard to get stuff into the city that's why there were no dairy queens in the city at the time in manhattan um so well and then didn't the cops come or something oh yeah cops came at the end as well so i mean it was we were having a blast. We were all sort of like kumbayaing around the tailgate, and all of a sudden, um, this woman at the Randalls Island Golf Center called the cops on us because apparently tailgating is not legal in their parking lot. They weren't having us anymore, so we packed up and got out of there. <laughs> we wrapped it up. There was beer <laughs> bottles all over the place, uh, and uh, I had to give uh, David Chang a ride home, and uh, he sat in the back seat. He did not move up to the... Uh, the passenger seat so that was pretty i felt like a, a cab driver talking to him through the mirror but like, we yeah. also i mean we learned that you know he had a almost pro golf career you know and he also pioneers the what they call the dad hat in that episode he i think he it's it's like a i don't know if it's a ping hat or if it's like you know it's just that kind of there's unstructured hat that's very popular now and he has it on in there you know is <laughs> it by the way the Munchies podcast is now available through Google Home. Just say, hey, Google, play the Munchies podcast. And you'll hear our lovely voices out loud without any touching, tapping, or navigating. Check it out. Well, um, all right, Brad Spence. Oh, going down to Philly. So much to talk about. I want to get your thoughts first, but I have a lot of questions for you about this. How we got to shoot with Brad at Amis is... Uh... Well, it's not it's not a long story. I reached out about wanting to shoot with Mark Vetri. I had always read about him. I used to make this bucatini with Brussels sprouts and and uh, something else in a cauliflower and Brussels sprout bucatini. That was like one of the coolest pasta dishes I, I made. It was like satisfying and meaty, but there was obviously no meat in it. And um, I just wanted to do something with Mark Vetri, and so we inquired. We found his his PR firm and the um, the guy that handled him was his name's Kong Fan and he's a huge uh, Kong he's a huge um, 
friend of of Munchies, and uh, he said Mark is going to pass, but he'd like to for you to do his his two uh, part. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jeff Michaud and Brad Spence. So I'm like, okay, we'll do two episodes. And I didn't really know much about them, but that it didn't matter. Because as soon as I got to Amis, I was like, okay, this is going to be great. You know, Brad's got that great mid-Atlantic accent, the O, you know, water and things like that. And um, cool, his brother-in-law's drinking at the bar. And I think we went outside and I, I already quit smoking, but he, maybe he was having a cigarette or we were just outside waiting. He goes, oh, the, you know, the PR guy told me not to say anything too crazy. And that, that was when I was like, okay, this is going to be good, you know, <laughs> because people from Philly, you know, they make even the most, you know, grimiest New Yorker seem like they've just walked out of finishing school because <laughs> when he brought us to, you know, Brad was great at his restaurant. And I love Amis and, and all that stuff was really good. A lot of eye-opening dishes, the veal tongue grilled with the, whatever, the fruit mostarda that they're going to do that day and long hots and and uh, swordfish meatballs and a bunch of really great food out of there. But then he brought us to Paisano's Philly style which is the, the rawest sandwich shop on earth run by Peter McAndrews at the time. And everything out of his mouth was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, um, every, I mean, I can say, because in the episode, every analogy was... Was the vagina. Was the sex. If you want to eat <laughs> pussy, eat this sandwich. If you like this, you'll eat this sandwich, you know? And it's like... Uh, but it, what there was... In, like, there was no malintent like that's just how they talked you know what i mean like they were going crazy and then we went to han dynasty and just when i thought like oh we've seen it all here is basically this chinese guy han who is just like he was like the south park fucking version of genghis khan he was just a, a whirlwind and he was screaming that he wants to get a blowjob while playing video games and i was just like this is incredible like, these guys are amazing <laughs> these guys are amazing no filter. No filter. So I love this channel. Yes. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> munchies. <laughs> They're so wild. I mean, at one point, I think the Paisanos crew talked about granny porn. And then I took the hot mortadella and just sliced that. That's the most beautiful thing I've seen <laughs> since I watched granny porn. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's definitely a lot of dudes and eating hot mortadella by the end of the night. Oh, that's the wildest thing, right? I've never really any, seen anybody make mortadella, but they set one to poach, and right. So they 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 had the the mousse, right? Uh, you know, the emulsified fat and whatever meat, and they piped it into the casing, tied one off, and set it to poach for the whole time we were out. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. You never think about that, right? I, I guess it's the the first time I saw like a hot dog being made or whatever. <laughs> it's ultimately what it is bologna hot dog it's all that same shit so uh that was incredible that sandwich at the end like that breaks every rule that i thought would be a good sandwich there's grated cheese on it um they took out some of the bread at the top 
They sliced hot mortadella, which sounds crazy. To, it was amazing. It was amazing. And then that sambal and the mayo, and I think they call it gadzuki sauce because that's like another politically incorrect Philly thing. Like it's got a Japanese chili thing with QP mayo. So why not call it something after Godzilla? And I think Han and Peter almost fought there. Yeah. Yeah. That it seemed, well, I was going to ask, you know, it seems like because of that, at any point when you were filming, were you concerned? I mean, they were just saying everything that was crazy. I was just hoping they wouldn't say anything good with like five, you know, like unusable things said in it. But it was, you know, in the end, it, it was great. I wish we had uh, at that point more microphones. We could have mic'd up more people to gotten wilder things. You know, there's like a real off the cuff statement just when Peter's walking out of the sandwich shop and he said, yeah, I used to smoke cigarettes while rollerblading through there. And I'm just like, what does that even mean? Like, what was he saying? Like, <laughs> like literally, because it, it might be a possibility for him. Yeah. So all these recipes that we've mentioned so far, you know, the, the mortadella torpedo from Brad Spence, the one pot sticky chicken wings from Andrew Zimmer and Tosi made the seven layer dip as well. Yeah. And then the tripe sandwich from Jonathan Benno, those are all in this cookbook. Mm -hmm. um, but one of my favorite recipes from this cookbook is State Bird's oxtail curry. Oh, fuck yeah. Those guys are the best. I, I've said that a couple times. But like in terms of <laughs> hospitality and just like the perfect balance, Stuart and Nicole and their whole team, they were pretty excited to do it. It was one of those situations where. The main chef kind of knew what it was, but like his whole line, they knew exactly what Munchies was and what it was going to be. And um, they, that restaurant was exciting to film in. It was truly exciting. You know, I was like, wow, this is kind of a new concept. I like how the chefs go out with their food. You just kind of want to eat and drink everything while you're in there. And we had a blast with them. And then there was somebody in that episode. We went to pick her up, and I went to high school with her. Elizabeth Spiridakis Olson is her very name. We went to Ramen Shop. And honestly, Ramen Shop had a salad on the menu there with Grabiche. And I was, and I remember Stuart tasting it, and he goes, fuck, Grabiche is going to make a comeback, huh? And it's on every menu now. I'm going to try, and then Helen is going to correct me. <laughs> but Grabiche is basically a, a sauce that is basically, to me, a lighter egg salad. They yeah. basically smear on the plate. People put asparagus on top. Or I think sometimes now when people can't figure out what to do, they add grabiche to a dish that doesn't need it and just makes it heavier. So it's like egg salad is a sauce. Get your fucking LaRousse gastronomy. You can look it up yourself. If you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, you probably have one in arm's reach. So for listeners who haven't been to State Bird Provisions in San Francisco, Stuart Brioza and Nicole Krasinski have been killing it for quite a while now yeah. it seems and um three and a half years four years I, I feel like it's flown by but you know does he not look like Rene Redzepi riddle me this he does he's his doppelganger a little bit he looks like, like Rene Redzepi cuddlier that, version maybe. yeah the, who yeah. makes food that's a little more caloric <laughs> what do you think in your opinion has made this show so successful because no matter where you go all over the world to any country I think, and, and you talk about anything from this website, the experience that I've had is always Chef's Night Out is the cornerstone. Well, I think that it, one, it's about cooks and restaurants explicitly. Yes, there's a couple of exceptions, but everyone has pretty much worked in a restaurant or spends a majority of their time in a restaurant. So that's one, it's about 
the actual restaurants, the people in the restaurants. Two, it's, I think it's utilitarian, right? You can look at it and go, I'm going to go there, I'm going to eat that thing. And not only at their restaurant, but maybe up to four or five places. You're gonna, I'm going to go there and eat this or drink that, or I'm going to go see the, the house band there that night. So you, you get that. Then you get the cooking at the end there, and, and it's also peppering it in the front. Oh, okay, I can see that technique. Like, you know, even one that was like super low key, but even just like basting, basting your meats in a pan. I think a lot of people, this is gonna sound crazy, but I think a lot of like uh, civilians, non-cooks probably saw someone either, you know, was it the guy Johnny in the back of, uh, pub and kitchen in philadelphia basting a piece of fish and then we saw james tracy do it in craft basting steaks with butter and herbs and you can also kind of like you can feel like an ins an insider an industry insider by watching it so i think that's what gives the people outside of it a fan or something to to key in on and you know again sometimes also people in restaurants it's true they don't get they don't get much shine so if you got a chance to kind of see yourself in the in the kitchen or eating in front or serving or something like that in there i think that's uh that's something special too so and and it is just people who they are you know i think that's kind of what it does and and when in doubt cut to a close-up of the food and and you're good so it's like people like that i think yeah but i also think this show could never have been as successful as it is if it wasn't for the simple fact that you've worked in restaurants for a long time and i think you know, that really reads well throughout the show. It's very thoughtful in that perspective. Thank you. I, I think, you know what, I, I appreciate that. And I also think that that's just kind of something that you learn from being in restaurants or taking care of people. And that is, and, and I think that just good, you know, producers or filmmakers, people just do, you don't want to fuck with it too much. So don't ask people to do things over and over again. Don't, we don't ask that people deviate from their normal thing. You know, we, if there, if we need to see something a little bit slower, we kind of set some time to do that, but you know, it's not, um, we just want to respect what they're doing. We know it's hard enough. We know it's a small business. Ultimately that's what these are. They're videos about small businesses so you can't, you know, we're not trying to sensationalize anybody, um, but I think just being considerate and not messing things up. And the camera guy is very thin, and he could fit into every position, so people could just stay in their station. And um, you know, it's uh, it's good. And then also, you know, when uh, other producers have taken them on, you know, it was also one of the first Vice shows with a format. So people in Mexico could make them. People in Japan, you know, the first time Ramen Burger was ever on video, it's in a Chef's Night Out episode, you know. People could take the format and duplicate it, you know, and it wasn't too far off. And then, you know, I think Alana Schulman, who is a producer on the show, is, you know, she worked in food. And even to, a, you know, James Quinn, who's maybe not the most outwardly polite person, but he understands, like, that that is important. I think a tone was set. And so even the people that have gone on and produced it and continue to, Eleanor Galloway and, you know, a bunch of other people, it's just a respect for the people in the restaurant and, you know, our video is, is there to capture what they're going to do. We want the respect back, and but, you know, when we're in the restaurant, this is their place. We don't, you know, people are paying money. We're not trying to mess anything up. So I think that's it. So one of the things I think 
is really interesting about the show as well is it's very much a insider's perspective on what it's like to be in restaurant culture. And what do you think it is that's so fascinating to watch in watching chefs actually eat, not only at restaurants that they want to eat at on their night off, but also the thoughtfulness of how they choose their munchies meal at the end of the night? Um, why do I think uh, it's... In- I think the part about why people want to watch the chefs eat is because, you know, one, people are like, oh, this person's a chef, so they must know everything, right? So they want to go where they go. Um, I also think it's like those opportunities, too. Like if you could watch like uh, a basketball player play like on a playground, you know, and they're out of their normal element, but they're still it's still evocative of what they do. So that's what that's what you want to see. So you want to see like, you, oh, yeah, he's in the kitchen. Now he's in street clothes. He or she is in street clothes. We're going to go see what they do in the restaurant. You know, we're going to see how they order. It's, oh, they eat with their hands too. Okay. They put like the stuff in the middle of the table and everyone's grabbing off each other's plates. Oh, these guys drink a lot. Okay. This is fun. You know, I think that's kind of, kind of what it is. It demystifies it and allows people to, to be a little, you know, a restaurant insider for that 15 minutes. And I think that is uh, the, the good part. And also, I think just knowing what that chef's like, what that chef likes restaurant-wise is, I think, what people think is that the important information. I think as you're saying that, I'm thinking about Eric Anderson, who at the time was at Catbird Seat uh-huh. and in Nashville. And there's a moment when he and his entire crew go to, um, what was it? Uh, the hot chicken place? But no. The uh, Rolf and Daughters? It wasn't Rolf and Daughters. It was... Husk? Husk. Thank you. Oh, and yeah. Another yeah. one. They go to Husk, right? And they <laughs> yeah. get styled out. And the chef there is Morgan Jelena. Yes. So Morgan, um, if I'm, I think, I, Morgan McClone, I'm sorry. Morgan, he owns Bell's Hot Chicken down in Australia. He comes to the U.S. to cook a lot. And he's there, and he does the fried chicken, the steak, and everything. And he, they just get completely styled out. And fast forward, I'm shooting an episode of Fuck That's Delicious in Sydney. And I hear this guy talking behind me. And I turn around, and I said, Morgan? He goes, yeah. And he's like, I was like, you don't know me at all. But I was like, but I, I do munchies in the States. And I've heard your voice a million times on screen when you're in the, you know, the Husk episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, Eric Capert, Anderson, yeah. Catbird Seed episode, and they, and they see you. And I was like, oh, yeah. And now, you know, he's a big sensation with his fried chicken and natural wine concept. But it's another one where it's like, pull that one apart. Rolf and Daughters becomes like a top 10 restaurant. Yeah. You know? But So they picked, they, he nailed it. Eric picked out all like, the talent, right? But it's, I think, kind of... Backing up a little bit, something that's amazing that you captured on camera was as they're having this meal, I mean, they they get murdered with food. And that's oftentimes if you're a chef and you go out, you're going to your friend's restaurant and they're going to send you the entire menu because it's probably like Mm -hmm. your only time that you get to eat there once in a while. And the whole time they just keep saying, fuck you, fuck Mm you, yeah, you know, and um, so... That's also an episode that brings me into our next topic, which is talking about the actual munchies part of this. So uh-huh. a lot of chefs actually do like to drink throughout the episode. Obviously, people like Jonathan Benno didn't probably drink much, no, one yeah. pint. But yeah, um, yeah. let's talk about some of the crazier episodes. And, and from the perspective of you, the producer, like what's going through your mind as you're watching these people drinking so much 
over the course of the night? Well, you, there's a sweet spot, right? So you want them to drink um, enough to loosen up, but you don't want them to drink so much that they don't know what's going on. Dale Talday, I think, is, you know, he rode the line. Later on, he said, I was blacked out while I was at the walk. But, like, that was, that was pretty good, man. He had drinks at every place. He kept up. He didn't pass around. No way. I've got to cook later. A lot of them say, I've got to cook later. I've got to cook later. And uh, he, um, he just powered through it and was like, you know, he couldn't. I guess I should have known when he couldn't find anything in his own kitchen that he was completely <laughs> wasted. And he was just like murmuring things to himself. But there's like a 500 degree walk, you know, and he's just playing around with it. Eric Anderson, those guys had like a bone to pick with the with the people from Battersby because they claimed that they didn't drink as much as them. That was like a little weird. Oh, of the Fernet. Yes. Yeah. I had to make a, I had a call, um, you know, the, um, what's his name from Battersby? Joe and, uh, Stern. It's something Stern. What is it? Oh God. Not Joe. Joe Grodnick. That, I like them as chef duo. Joe Grodnick. He did not appreciate, I think. Anything I had to say, but uh, the other guy was really nice. And but I remember calling them, being like, "Hey, these catbird seat guys—they want to call you out, and we're gonna let them." <laughs> but <laughs> I just want to give you the heads up, you know. And uh, so, I mean, how much Fernet did you watch Eric Anderson consume over the course of five hours? Well, I've got to be totally truthful. That was James Quinn. He was down there, but he called me and said. These guys are really, really trashed. Like these guys are fucked up, and uh, and I was like, okay, just you know, you just make sure that no one's driving and and they get home safe. And but they also, but those guys too, like the real chefs, know how to delegate a little bit. They've got what they want to do, and they've got their, you know, their sous chefs kind of waiting for them. There's people that strategize these munchies meals, you know, and they're like, okay, you're gonna get this done beforehand, or you know, and I'm gonna come in and and finish it every once in a while there's someone that does it completely from scratch uh, and then there's sometimes people like don't get it at all and have someone completely do everything but you know he was he was you know i think they had two bottles right they had two they're down two bottles of fernet by the second location that just makes my body hurt thinking about it mile end are they in there at all yeah yeah we've got mile end noah, noah mm-hmm. from mile end they have they were two bottles of vodka down before the first location Noah Bermanoff, hats off to you, my friend. That was amazing. That was um, Russ and Daughters. Then we went to Sammy's Romanian. And then he made like leftover back at the place. But they were drinking straight vodka. So I don't think anyone's really kind of just done that. That was like Dave Attell style up all night. Just fucking drinking from the bottle. Just drinking from the bottle. So what's an example for you of an episode when it goes off the rails? Well, I think going off the... There's one part where people just totally ignore certain things. The Mexicali taco guys were real good, except that they didn't understand the... We had to go back to the restaurant and make something, so they made one tostada or quesadilla at the end, and no one's really there. I kind of just closed my eyes and (laughs) hit approve on that one. Um, Daniel Patterson said to me see things go off the rails but you don't really see it like you know things can go people can get really wasted and you just sit them down but to me like the best uh, off the rails is when you get there and the chef has no idea what this is like his sous chefs have talked him into it or his PR person maybe and uh, he's like but where's my car gonna go and I was just like 
I don't. I can want me to drive it to you later, but my car's here. I'm like, we're filming something. You can you're more than welcome to take a taxi back from the last location and get your car. But that's when I'm like, okay, you know. But his was great. His was another facet. The people think like, oh, they got to go nuts. Even the first chef was like, hey, why aren't you wasted right now? But that's fine. David he, Chang. No, Corey Lee said oh. that too. Corey Lee. I was gonna say on David Chang's episode, which is the first episode ever. I think he says something along those lines to oh, yeah. Peter Meehan, who was of Lucky Peach at uh-huh. the time. But um, what do you look for in when you're selecting a chef for a new episode? That that people we know, or um, the, the producer, or myself, or or you, or someone knows that them, and they know that they're they've kind of been vetted um, in terms of just like personality-wise. Yeah, this person's cool. Um, we like the food that they're doing. I know that you can't really taste it on camera, but but that's the truth. I don't want to. We don't want to put anything out there that's not like, hey, go go here. You know, even if it's a place that's not closed anymore, even if it's somebody like, um, you know, I'll just say it. The restaurant Sorella on the Lower East Side. What was her name? What was the chef's name? Emma Hurst. Emma Hurst. Yeah. Right? Maybe not like everyone's like the most down chef or whatever, but her and her partner Sarah, I thought. You know what they're doing? It. This restaurant is good. That like basically tempura broccoli thing was real good. The pasta I had there was good. They had great gelato there, you know. And um, they really didn't. They kind of phoned that one in, I think, from a filming perspective. But uh, I thought that you know there was there was a virtue to that place, and I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's do something different. There's 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 places that are you know um, the places that we can. They're not like, oh, we got the press release. It's like, oh, I've been there, or I like that person, or you know what, I really want to like talk to this person. Like, I respect what they did before or whatnot. So that's what goes into it. And people are like, well, how can we, how can we pitch something? I'm like, well, you got to work here. You know, like that's it. You can't just. Uh, we're not just out there like fielding requests. <laughs> it's like there's a long list of people we want to, we want to do stuff with still. So. Well, thinking about the cookbook, which, you know, Mm -hmm. is a reflection of the show. Yeah. Thinking about when we had to edit down what was going to go in here, it was so challenging because it was we looked at everything and the biggest two kind of topics were meat and offal. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, there's literally one vegetable recipe in here, which is from Daniel Patterson of Qua, of course. Mm -hmm. But for you, what do you think is the most emblematic munchies meal oh um it's got to be like a starch with a meat and cheese you know not necessarily a sandwich (laughs) but there's gonna be something like that quesadillas or you know poutine and uh um stuff that soaks it up you know was there daniel patterson he did scrambled eggs with spigarello over farro with sriracha and some crusty bread very good healthy very healthy yeah 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 (laughs) which which was which was great even the tripe sandwich a tripe cutlet sandwich from jonathan meadow is pretty crazy brad spencer sandwich i wouldn't say to leave a mortadella poaching on your stovetop but if you could have anything that halfway resembles that sandwich waiting for you when you get home that's amazing the meatball and garlic pizza from best pizza do that um just so much there's uh i think the uh the ramen tatsuya guys in there yeah yeah the the soft shell crab sliders which if you go to ramen tatsuya now 
they literally on their board it says munchies meal and it's that yeah i mean i think also a lot of these munchies meals are what chefs secretly wish they had on their menu or not not even secretly they wish they had on their menu but it would just be like stick out like a sore thumb and um yeah i just think it's you know stuff you shouldn't eat every day but when you <laughs> but when you are gonna splurge and and do it you know you can um do it like a, a professional and i would challenge someone to go out like find like work backwards get the recipe and then like go out and try to do what they did and then go home and and uh and cook with it i guess is that like <laughs> asking people to kill themselves to a heavy metal record or something is that bad maybe maybe that's <laughs> fine but do it try it just put yourself in their shoes now you can you know You've worked with literally the world's greatest chefs at this point. I think probably the only person who hasn't been on this show is Rene Redzepi. Um, for you in the future, because we have over 200 episodes and counting, what is your fantasy episode? Who are you filming with? Where is it? And what happens? Oh. Fantasy episode would be access to a private jet. It would be, honestly, with Mario Batali. And just watch him kind of, you know, strategically tear up. Because I, I like eating with him because he directs people. Put this with this and stuff like that. And then this, he would, that would be his job. And I think it would be like starting off in Babo, then going to Teterboro. And then like just kind of flying around. Maybe hit Chicago with him and then just kind of watch him have an all-access, you know, past to something like that <laughs> that would be good i would also say chef narisawa in in japan i would like somebody who's that composed to truly let loose like in tokyo and just kind of see it <laughs> completely devolve and watch him get back and just make like the best like okonomiyaki or or something like that you know um i think we've had the good fortune of getting a lot of people on and seeing what they would do you know or even just kind of I think the Canadians always did a really good job of of saying, okay, we're going to show, you know, the New York chefs or somebody how we party. I mean, the Bar Isabel episode, uh, Danny Bowen said it to me that he went and started looking up where that restaurant was in New York because he wanted to go to it. And I was like, oh, and he figured it out it was in Toronto. <laughs> I think they showcased themselves perfectly and, and they did that and... Um, yeah, I like, you know, uh, not in the book, but uh, Lewis from EP and LP. There was, I thought that was, that was, that was close to perfect in terms of, you know, kind of cutty spot, a plate, like the tallest building in LA spot. And he did a good job. But for me, I'd like to see just uh, Mario Batali uncensored with access to a private jet. Well, I mean... In the foreword of the book, which he wrote for us, he literally gives you a teaser of yeah. his episode because he's waiting for you. Yeah. So I think it's let's find a Learjet and let's make it happen. <laughs> yes, we shall. We shall. Any final thoughts? The book is incredible. I think it encapsulates kind of everything that happened culinarily in the show. Um, I think the episodes, well, they're all not perfect. They kind of... Uh, it's the only kind of place you can go and see these things, right? I think that uh, what's really satisfying is giving somebody, and no matter how not famous or whatever, just like the opportunity to tell what their story is. This is their restaurant, and here it is. This seems very simple, but it's also like it doesn't really happen anywhere else. And on this, um, at now at this point, I think it's a really good platform. Like there's 
nothing else like it. So I think that's what it is to, uh, I would just like to say, please continue to come to Munchies to uh, just get the straight, the straight talk on whatever the stuff is, whether it's food or, you know, restaurants and, you know, and if you want to take it a step further and you want to start cooking, get the book. <laughs> but uh, I want to close out with a question, but first I'm going to pose it with something that Stuart Brioza of State Bird Provisions said on his episode, which was, you know, you can really tell how people are by the way they compose themselves the next morning after a late night out. The truth of any good party is how you can handle yourself the next day at work. That's where, like, amateurs and pros separate. So for you, what is your hangover cure? Get up right away and go to work because the only thing that's going to make you feel more hungover is if you allow yourself to be hungover. Like, maybe you're not going to be in peak performance, but you're going to be there and you won't have the guilt to compound your headache and whatnot. And you can always puke in the bathroom and everything. <laughs> just make sure you have Pellegrino. Don't have a coffee because that's just going to make you sweat more. And then you're just going to stink like alcohol. So just water and fried rice by the afternoon. And then kind of. And what I like coming to work hungover is because when everyone else is fading around five, that's when you start to feel good. And so you can come and fake it till five and then finish so much harder than everybody else. So that's it. That's the best hangover cure is to get out of bed and do something. Even if you're going to puke outside or whatever, if you lie there and feel guilty about not doing something or not going to work, that's, that's, that's what's going to make it hurt more. <laughs> that's the truth. Chris Grosso, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much to Chris Grosso for coming on the show and for making this website absolutely incredible. And thank you so much to Mitch Rackin for his help in the recording studio. And as always, thanks so much to Phil Demahovsky, my podcast producer. Next time on Munchies the Podcast, it's the Black Lips. Yeah, there's like gastronomical, like foodie kind of thing. It's kind of getting older. Like I, I, That's annoying. It, it was already in the beginning when I'm starting. They call it farmer table. I like to call it barf to table. It's just like... <laughs> And as always, you can get all of our delicious Munchies content over at munchies.tv. Hit us up at Munchies on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, too. And if you like the show, show us some love and rate it on iTunes. Because guess what? It actually helps us out. I'm Helen Holliman. I'll talk to y'all real soon. And don't forget, next episode, play the Munchies podcast on Google Home. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit 
yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.